177th episode of The Week with Roger, a conversation between analysts about all things telecom, media, and technology from Recon Analytics. I'm Don Kellogg, and with me as always is Roger Etner. Roger, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. So Roger, this week we're talking earnings. We've heard from all the national providers as well as Comcast and Charter. Who do you want to start with? Well, let's start with Verizon because they reported first. All right. So I thought Verizon had a pretty good quarter with some caveats, right? So their postpaid phone net ads were 449,000, which is markably better than they've done in recent memory. Their upgrade rate at 4.1% was quite good. And their churn at 0.93% was respectable, but higher than it's been recently. What did you think? Yeah, it was a respectable quarter. What was very interesting was that in our Net Promoter Score data, Verizon, for the first time in like living memory, actually beat T-Mobile and Net Promoter Score. Since we do this on a weekly basis, we're faster than anybody else, right? And so we know already that in January, T-Mobile took the crown back, which I thought interesting, and which is not necessarily a good sign for Verizon going forward. Even though Verizon was like very optimistic about 2024, I hope they're right. But giving up the net promoter score crown is not going to help them. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's interesting, right? So they came out with my plan or enhancements to my plan, particularly having to do with streaming and such late Q3, early Q4. We saw a jump in terms of perception of value for price and some of our subcomponent scores, right? Which we show tracks pretty closely to overall satisfaction net promoter score. But I agree. I mean, the other thing I would add is that more than any other carrier, and we've talked about this on the podcast in the past, Verizon is more cyclical in the sense that typically their Q4 is the strongest of the year. And that was certainly the case this year. And Q1 is usually their weakest quarter. In the past, they've been so much more focused on postpaid. I think they still are very focused on postpaid. The difference now, they own TrackPhone. And on the prepaid side in Q4, they didn't do very well at all. Yeah, but that didn't help, right? Right. They lost 289,000 prepaid subscribers. And this is part of, I think, a bigger trend we should also talk about as we go through this, is that generally speaking, we see that postpaid is winning while prepaid is kind of treading water, if not you know, transferring to postpaid. We certainly saw that at Verizon. Yes, absolutely. So rounding out the portfolio didn't help. They paid for the privilege to, to lose customers. Now, the bright side is FWA. Even though that they raise prices, they are hitting their, what, 400,000 additional subscriber bogey. And that's what they're aiming at. And as we predicted before, I think Verizon will hit their publicly stated goal and will keep plowing on with the FWA nets. The thing that I think is interesting with respect to FWA, and we'll, we'll talk about it more when we talk about T-Mobile as well, is that the run rates for FWA at Verizon and for T-Mobile are kind of shaking out to be different but consistent, right? In the sense that Verizon has been able to you know, exert some pricing power and raise some prices on FWA and maintain you know, that $300,000, $400,000 net run rate, whereas T-Mobile is hitting higher, higher nets, but they're also generating some lower satisfaction scores that we're seeing. So, you know, to the extent that there's a decision that carriers make around where they provision FWA and where they enable it and the spectrum it sits on and everything else, we're seeing kind of two different worlds. They're both, you know, wildly positive from a satisfaction perspective, but Verizon seems to be driving lower nets, but higher satisfaction, 
than T-Mobile in terms of FWA. Yeah. Also talking about this, you know, AT&T's, you know, Internet Air Service is tracking very closely to how how T-Mobile tracks in terms of MPS scores. So it's really interesting to watch this, and we have this crystal ball where we see these things. It's pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We're looking at exactly you know when they started each of these services. It's almost one for one exactly in terms of where where AT and T's with Internet Air. I think what's interesting from that perspective is you know AT and T has a little bit of a, and this may be a good segue to AT and T. They have a little bit more of a differentiated strategy, and that they want to push fiber where fiber is available, and and FWA where they might be you know trying to decom some old copper and may or may not replace with fiber in the long run. But it's now available in 59 markets, so I think they're going to roll it out nationwide. Well, I think they should, right? I mean, if you look at FWA, I mean, I don't, I don't think that the strengths in FWA are necessarily limited to any one brand, right? I mean, it's a, yep. it's an easy to install product, and, and kind of the way in which we see customers reacting to it is fairly universal. In that, it's easy to install. It's oftentimes less expensive than whatever came before it. Either works or it doesn't. And if it doesn't work, you take it back, and no harm, no foul. You know, we think it's a great product. But by the way, one last thing with Verizon. For the first time, and again, as far as I look back, and I just look back two years or so, Verizon added postpaid accounts. Yeah. If you do the math on net ads per account, it was 22 lines per account. So clearly, the new customers did not come with 22 lines, right? So it shows the trend of Verizon really milking hard their base. And that the vast majority of their customers, their increase in lines comes from existing accounts. Well, they had a lot of promotions they ran where you get a new phone and you also get a tablet and a watch too. Yeah. Right. So they're kind of doing a lot of things to boost lines. In the past, they've done it with tablets. It looks like they're doing it with kind of a wider range of peripheral device, non-phone lines as well. Two years later, these the tablets churned off again, right? Yeah, that's always the danger, right? Because the tablets come with, you know, whatever it is, you know, the access fee, be it 10 or $20 a month. I know I was one of those subs way back when that got a free tablet. And you think it's free, but then a year later, it really costs you 120 bucks, right? In terms of service fees. Yeah, people don't want to have it. Right, right. So let's shift gears to at and I thought they had another good and, you know, what I would say has become a very consistent kind of drumbeat of results, right? So they generated 526,000 postpaid phone net ads, 759,000 total postpaid net ads. Like Verizon, they lost prepaid subscribers. So they lost 135,000 relative to the 289 at Verizon. Their churn was industry best at 0.84% on postpaid and just a little bit under 3% for prepaid. So I thought this was a good quarter. It was a good quarter. Remind me where the gift that keeps on giving, also known as FirstNet, came in. It was like two something, right? Yeah, two, or approximately 260. So they, they announced that they have 5.5 million connections. They didn't break out phones this time. In the past, they said that phones make up about a third of their FirstNet line. So if you put a swag on it, it's you know 70 or 80,000 postpaid phone probably came from FirstNet. But, you know, solid. Normally, they report anywhere between 250 and 400 for FirstNet. So this is on the lower end of that range, but still, you know, still pulling for them and still reliably delivering net ads. And the other thing I think was interesting for AT&T is they did this all against the backdrop of basically having the same plans they've had for the last year and a half or so. Oh, longer, longer, longer. Longer, yeah. Verizon and T-Mobile 
both rolled out new plan constructs. AT&T's updated their plan constructs a number of times. Most recently, you know, they've added service to the Dominican Republic and increased some of the hotspot data on their most premium plans. But from a construct perspective, it's not notably different. The hotspot data is a lot more meaningful to a sizable subsegment than Dominican Republic. I know a lot of people here in Boston where we have one of the largest Dominican communities are very enthusiastic, but I've never been to the Dominican Republic. So thank you for free coverage, but not sure when I will use it. They executed really, really well. And the other thing I would say is that their upgrade rate was higher than the other two national providers, right? And so 4.7% is pretty high, all things considered. But that's the best device offer for everybody. And that drove also the low churn. The two are connected, without a doubt. If you offer great device deals, you get low churn. Why go somewhere else, right? When your carrier of choice treats you fairly. Let's talk about T-Mobile. They had another cracker of a quarter. Yep. 934,000 postpaid fund net ads, about 1.5 million total postpaid net ads. Churn creeping up a little bit, so they're still south of 1% on postpaid phone, but 0.96%. Upgrade rate, a little bit lower, so 3.2%. But I thought they did well, and as you mentioned earlier, the you know machine that, that, that creates uh, FWA net ads is still cranking along. They had 541,000 FWA net ads. So you know everything in Bellevue continues to go to plan from an operational perspective. They continue to deliver. They came in almost exactly where they were a year ago from a phone net ads perspective, just a variance of 7,000. But, you know, T-Mobile continues to deliver on that front. Yeah. And that's even though, as I mentioned, with that dip in that promoter score, which they took back here, it's going to be really interesting of how this will battle out. What we have to mention is that everybody's net promoter scores have been going up over the last year. So despite the price increases that we've seen in the mobile industry, which is like a first. Customers have become more satisfied and happier with their service across the board, which is quite interesting, right? Because we traditionally see a very strong correlation between lower price and higher net promoter score, right? And here we're seeing over the last year, solid increases, like almost month over month over month throughout the year for net promoter scores. With our sample sizes of like hundreds of thousands per year, this is not a fluke. No, I I mean, I have a little bit of a hypothesis in terms of what's going on with the 5G rollout. You know, you and I both live in large metro areas where we've had access to, you know, mid-band 5G for quite some time. Not everybody does, right? And I know one of the things that Verizon has talked about a lot is, you know, in the markets where they've deployed C-band, their satisfaction is much higher. We see that as well, right? So as everybody kind of builds out their network and finishes building out their network, and it kind of finally, the promise of 5G from a speed perspective begins to reach everybody. I, I do think that to the extent we measure value for price, not just how much you're paying, but how much value you're getting from it, the average wireless subscriber is getting more value from their plan than they were a year ago, simply by virtue of the network buildouts continuing to kind of reach more and more people. But it's interesting to watch. Yeah, it's interesting to watch, you know, because we watched and we were like, 
What is the impact of these price increases? Is our net promoter scores going to tank or are they going to? Because that's the conventional wisdom would be prices go up, MPS tanks, and it didn't happen. Then let's talk briefly about Comcast. Yeah, so Comcast is doing pretty well. They got uh, 310,000 wireless phone net ads, which is about what their run rate has been. The last quarter, they got 294. So again, kind of similar to AT&T, very steady eddy in terms of both what Comcast and Charter have been doing in terms of generating net ads. Everybody seems to be kind of okay in the, with the strategy in the corner they're in and you know, generating similar numbers there. The question for Comcast and probably for Charter as well is to the extent that often these lines are almost always these lines are bundled. They're bundled. It's coming through the same funnel. So there is a link between, well, if not internet ads, but at least the internet volume, because the primary sales channel is the sales, is telesales. And so there is a strong link here going on. Well, and I think, you know, people talk about Comcast and Charter sitting on the Verizon network, but as you've rightly pointed out, most of the time these devices are sitting on top of the MSO network. Yeah. 90% of the time, the traffic is on their own network and their own router. So in a way, because we see a divergence between Verizon's network promoter scores and the cable company's promoter scores, and that is their own doing, right? Well, yeah, it's, it's the core network, and it's also the hardware they're talking to, like the actual yeah. router and that sort of thing, right? Yeah. So it's really fascinating to see the delta here and how it's different, and we have some pretty nifty insights. Comcast was struggling a little bit on broadband, but then Charter delayed their earnings call for a week, and I think they just reported, we're recording this on Friday. They reported this morning. They reported this morning, and typically you don't delay an earnings call for happy reasons, right? Because you're waiting for news. Well, I think there are some good news on the wireless side, but I mean, what I was getting to earlier was kind of the undermining fundamentals of the bundle and the broadband connection. I know Charter's had some issues with video. They generate 546,000 wireless phone net ads, right? Which is, I think, what the street would consider to be the bright spot. Yeah. Yeah. The, the question is kind of, you know, if the broadband bundle going along with that, Will it continue to kind of keep up? Yeah. And that quarter was so bad. Craig Moffat, who, you know, usually absolutely loves cable and hates telco, now hates all of them. <laughs> what did he say, Roger? He said, until expectations and results for broadband net ads come into better balance, nothing else matters. Nothing. Yeah. Right? And I like Craig Moffat. He has very often very good analysis. He's, I think, a little bit too friendly and too optimistic around cable and a little bit too pessimistic around telcos. But, you know, even he lost hope here. Well, you know, I think it's interesting, right? Because if you look at, you know, where we talked about this earlier in terms of where ads are coming from, right? Are they coming from prepaid? Are they coming from postpaid, right? One of the things that we've seen, and you said this before too, is that depending on how you look at the MSOs, they're either a really good prepaid carrier or a really bad postpaid carrier, right? Yep. They're somewhere in the middle. And inherent to that is kind of this value proposition or the value for price, which we show. And you know, I just finished doing some of the work on this. Value for price is the most important thing for both wireless and for broadband. No surprise, right? No surprise. Right. Is what you're buying worth it, right? 
But if you're trading on value, a free line with a $100 you know, broadband connection is hard to beat. That's what the cable guys are, are selling at this point. Yeah. For a year or two, you can do that. Right. These lines are rolling off that promotion, right? We've looked at this of like how many lines will pay, right? And we're not going to talk about it on this show because we're bad teasers, but we've looked at this very closely because that's the big question. And cable has done this to patch themselves over for this year and potentially even next year when DOCSIS 4.0 comes up and starts being rolled out because fiber beats cable almost every day of the week. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a dangerous game of chicken though, right? Because a year down the road, where are we going to be? We're going to have more people familiar with the value proposition of fixed wireless, right? Going back to the value piece, fixed wireless is a smoking deal. It's hard to beat the pricing there. You're going to have bead money sloshing around everywhere for fiber buildouts. And then you're going to be out, you know, trying to convince people that the new cable is different from the old cable. I think it's going to be an uphill battle, but I mean, we'll see, right? I mean, they, they have done well competing on value in the past, particularly with like kind of one-year, two-year deals. We'll see how they work with that this time around. These exploding deals that people don't like. Now, people take them and then they hate them. That's the thing, though, is people love exploding deals, but only when they get them, right? And when they expire, then they hate them, right? And they hate them. I think in the end, the best case scenario for cable is that DOCSIS 4.0 will be as fast and as reliable as fiber. Now, I'm pretty confident that it will be as fast. In the lab, it's as reliable, but we all know, and a friend of mine reminded me that we don't build networks in labs, right? We'll see if it's in the wild as reliable. And then the whole service side comes in. And cable is still struggling to treat people. Although, and I agree with you, but I would I would push back on that a little bit. And this is based on one of the, the first things we did with our data when we were first starting to collect satisfaction data and speed data and things of that nature. We have a dashboard we built titled Everything Gets Better with Speed. Yeah. And what we found is that across the gamut of satisfaction measures, if faster speeds generate faster satisfaction across the board, Right. And so generally speaking, a person on a one gigabit connection is going to be faster than, or happier than somebody on a 50 megabit connection, even with billing, even with tech support and things like that. So there's a world where, you know, maybe speed does save cable guys. I don't know. At the same speed, I think the fiber customers are happier with their customer service than the cable customers. Now it's an opportunity, you know, cable is not condemned to have bad customer service forever the same way that telcos are not privileged to have good customer service just by the nature of them there. And all of them can improve. We can agree on that. It's interesting. But it was a good quarter all around. Nobody, nobody posted negative nets with the exception of, you know, prepaid. So, you know, to the extent that Q4 typically delivers, this year was no different. And, you know, the economy is looking up and here we are, you know, in the middle of Q1 now. So it'll be interesting to see you know, how Q1 numbers come in, given the momentum we have coming out of Q4. Then this is a long episode. I want you to talk about me picking up my Apple Vision Pro. Oh, yeah. Tell us about your new toy. <laughs> so I pre-ordered, and because I'm on the privileged East Coast, 
I didn't have to get up at 5 a.m. Pacific. I was there at 5 a.m. Pacific. For me, it was 8 a.m. Eastern. I bought a Vision Pro and I let them set it up in the store. So I had like a half hour appointment there. Since I'm old, I have both contacts and reading glasses. So I tried one, then the other. We put like a different vision thing on it. My customer service rep, Nat, did a fantastic job guiding me through all of that. But it took like one and a half hours. So, But I went there deliberately on day one, where you would expect them to have problems, right? That's why I went there. Not to gloat, but to see how do they gel. And it's a very complicated process. The 10 minutes that I tried the Vision Pro went very intuitive. The quality of the experience was really good. I haven't had time to set it up here yet. The only thing negative-ish that I realized was like when you look out and your eye moves, and it's really neat how it tracks your eyeball, your pupils. It took like a fraction of a second to get like sharp and in focus. But I'm looking forward to using this as actually a productivity tool. I want to use the Vision Pro on airplanes and in hotel rooms because we're all here pampered with large screen monitors. And I find now even a 15-inch laptop screen a painful inconvenience. So I'm looking forward to using the Vision Pro in airplanes so that nobody can look over my shoulder or in hotel rooms. And then I have like a massive screen there on my head. And I bought like a, a backup battery so that if I'm in a plane for four hours plus, either to Europe or... But the thing is huge. Like one of the things, like the, the carrying bag is like massive. I don't know how I will get this in my, in my backpack. My first impression... They did a very nice job in like setting it up. I only witnessed one other customer in the store where the Vision Pro did not work properly. And then they have like this myriad of like face foams and things. But the moment it's like not the standard order that you did, they're being thrown for a loop. But I don't figure that will work itself out. But the device, the 10 minutes I used, I was like highly impressed. Cool. You'll have to give us more uh, impressions of your new face computer as you get more familiar with it. I, I would say, just based on the reaction in uh, the Bay Area to Google Glass, maybe wait to worry it out to the bars, right? It looks like really cool tech, and particularly the virtual virtual screen functionality from a productivity perspective seems really awesome. So congrats. And the 3D video was really cool. 3D video that they showed, they have like some prefab. 3D video and 3D pictures. That was really neat. Awesome. And now I just have to figure out how on the on the iPhone 15 Pro Max, how I can actually do a picture, a 3D picture or a 3D video. Ah. But yeah, that was neat. Cool. But God, this is now a long episode. <laughs> Hopefully people will listen in afterwards. Anyway. Oh, they'll listen for the, the Vision Pro review, I'm sure. All right. All right. We'll talk to you next week, Roger. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.